the journey never really ends uh, for me, especially, you know, I, I think we're all, we're all students of the instrument forever. We're all students of our craft forever. Um, and I, I think that's a really good uh, mindset to have in order to continue your, your musical journey, not, not chasing perfection, but, but chasing excellence. And so that's uh, something I, I really look forward to, to doing. This episode contains adult language and adult humor. Since when have trumpet players ever been considered adults? If you are easily offended by these types of conversations, consider switching to the oboe. Welcome to the Trumpet Gurus Hang Podcast. I'm your host, Jose Johnson. My guest for this episode is William Leathers. William, well, he's a bit of a trendsetter. A recent graduate of the famed Juilliard School of Music, William is already setting the trumpet world on fire. As the newly appointed principal trumpet for both the Nashville Symphony Orchestra and the Santa Fe Opera, William brings a combination of old world style and modern day swagger to the classical music scene. So pour yourself a big glass, pull up a chair, and let the hang begin. All right, and uh, here we are uh, back at the Trumpet Gurus Hang, first episode of 2023. Man, can't believe how time has flown. Uh, and I am so happy to have as my first guest for the new year, Mr. William Leathers. William, it is a pleasure to finally get to connect with you, my friend. Pleasure to connect with you too. Yeah, great to be here. Yeah, I've been following your uh, your budding career uh, since your days at Juilliard. Uh, a lot of the social media posts you put on, and uh, you know, always impressed by your playing. And uh, I do have to say, uh, I'm extremely jealous of you. Uh, one, you are a phenomenal trumpet player, and two, I used to have hair at one point. Uh, <laughs> really, really, uh, you know, I see those pictures of you at the big fro, and I'm just like, oh man. Sucks getting old. So uh, enjoy it while you may, my friend. <laughs> yeah, I got a lot of friends of mine trying to borrow some of it. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not going to happen, right? <laughs> All right. Well, you know, it, and actually that, that's a, it's kind of a, a good, good place to start. Um, you do not fit in many ways the, uh, the prototypical professional especially lead Trump, uh, not lead, but uh, principal trumpet player. You just got landed a, a gig at, at, uh, in Nashville's principal trumpet down there. And I definitely want to talk about that a little bit more. But you don't seem to fit the mold that most of us have of what it means to be a professional classical trumpet player. Um, you know, is this something that you've kind of uh, had to deal with over, you know, over your, your career uh, of kind of being uh, sticking out from, from the ordinary? Um, I guess I've had to deal with it in the sense of, uh, I, I would, so in the, in the amount of time that I've been kind of learning how, or just kind of going through my, uh, my own journey as a musician and as a trumpet player and, you know, with, um, piano being, being my, my first instrument, you know, my, my, uh, my whole journey as as a, as a musician and, and my skill set as as a musician and, and my artistry and whatnot, 
is uh it's you know my own uh individual musicality essentially so um you know obviously when i um started at, at juilliard you know i i majored in in classical trumpet there so at that point i considered myself um you know uh, a classical trumpet player even though i can do um other things but there there were some things in my um playing especially in the in the early years at school where i felt you know there are some things that are uh um a little different that that are that are unique with me that is uh actually a great thing for for me to have um like different aspects of my playing but there are some that might not be acceptable in the orchestral world so there are some things that i have to to figure out so so in a sense yes i did have to deal with uh um stick sticking out in in that um sense you know there's there's sound concept you have to be able to get your sound to work in an or in an orchestra if you know because be, being able to figure out how to get um an orchestral sound and and having some um you know high note uh lead trumpet commercial stuff whatever going on as well you know that's um um something i've definitely had to figure out psycholo uh, psychologically in order to uh be the classical trumpet player that i want to be as well as you know stay true to my musicianship and artistry yeah that yeah. makes a whole lot of sense yeah well you know it, it's um it's interesting because over over uh the past several decades mm -hmm. uh, you know you you see that uh you know in the past there were there were a whole lot of specialists uh and I think that the time of specialization has kind of gone beyond. We've gone beyond that, where you know, to make make a career as a professional trumpet player, it it becomes more important to have a varied skill set than just you know being you know the 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 one trick pony sort of thing. Not that there's anything wrong with with being the specialist, but I, I think that you know having that that versatility certainly comes in. So. Um, when you talk about like being in Juilliard and, and having, you know, you have the background as a, as a, as a pianist, you have, uh, you know, your classical training, you have, you know, your, your lead playing, your commercial playing, things like that, uh, your own uh, individual kind of concepts of, of musicality. Um, you know, what, what are the areas that you think, like, you know, where, where did uh, like your, your piano and your, your lead chops help your, your, your classical playing and, and where did they perhaps create create a uh a little difficulty for you to get over that's a great question well i, I can i can probably answer that question by just kind of starting from the the beginning and and uh and taking taking you through my my entire musical journey in a sense to kind of um uh speak to where i got certain advantages from for my uh my classical playing and other sectors of my musical journey and and what i what i kind of had to um work through kind of the pros and cons of, of all that so uh i started piano when i was four years old and uh i had actually and so i was inspired to play piano by this uh big blue cartoon octopus known as oswald that's a cartoon i, I watched growing up and so um oswald played the the piano and i was watching the show all the time show all the time so uh i begged my mom for about six months uh for some piano lessons and then 
she finally got me some. So that's where the piano journey started. And uh, I still play piano, even though I don't I don't practice as much as I um, normally would these days because I'm um, now I've got a first trumpet gig and I'm, I'm trying not to get fired and all that, you know, so just constantly learning first trumpet parts, trying to stay on top of it. And uh, <laughs> um, and so my, my dad is a trumpet player. And so uh, pretty much all of my childhood before I started the trumpet, I ended up starting the trumpet at seven, but pretty much throughout um, my entire life before that, I wanted to play the trumpet because of him. And um, basically my dad wanted me to start the trumpet when I had the four front adult teeth happening at the front of my mouth so that um, it would be a little bit easier to um, set an embouchure. And so I, I wouldn't have to, you know, go through starting on the baby teeth and then losing the baby teeth, can't really play properly, and then resetting my embouchure once the adult teeth come in. So um, as a result, largely my, my I don't think my embouchure has really changed all that much since I first started playing the trumpet, you know, it's just kind of in the same spot. Uh, and I've never had braces or anything. So, um, and so my, my dad was my first uh, trumpet teacher and he's a uh, commercial jazz trumpet player. So that's, that's where, where that came in. And, and uh, my dad's sound on the trumpet is, is really the, uh, um, uh, the first sound and the main sound that's, that's still in my head, you know, as long as I can remember, uh, he would be practicing trumpet in the basement uh, every single day for hours and hours. Um, so that's just always been the the sound in my head. Um, so uh, he basically taught me primarily and consistently up until I was uh, 12 years old. And then when I was 12, uh, I uh, uh, my middle school uh, band director, uh, Chris Chigola. Um, he used to be pr principal trumpet in the Guelph Symphony, which is not too far away from Toronto. And so he took me to uh, a dress rehearsal, a, uh, it, I believe it was a holiday show and it included all sorts of Christmas carols and some selections from the, the Messiah. And so he, uh, he brought me to the dress rehearsal and I got to sit right next to him in the orchestra and just listen and play and listen to all the surrounding music. And I just completely uh fell in love with what i what i was hearing and uh and listening to uh um classical 96.3 fm all the time growing up in uh in, in the toronto area uh it just felt like all that music that i had um been kind of consuming all my life just just came to life in front of me and i was it almost felt like i was a part of it even though i wasn't contributing a single note in that moment. So um, I just really fell in love with orchestral playing uh, or just the orchestra in general. So I, I, I started playing in youth orchestra. So I started um, taking a lot of lessons, basically studying with, uh, with Chris Chigola from when I was 12 up until I was uh, um, 17. So at that point, um, I'm still playing a lot of uh, piano, taking some very serious uh, classical piano lessons. Um, I've got the uh, the teaching and influence from my dad, who's a uh, jazz commercial player. And then now I've got uh, my uh, elementary school band teacher, who who's a very good uh, orchestral and classical trumpet player, and, and he can play some jazz too. 
um, a very good jazz player. And then so I get to Juilliard. Now I get to study with um, uh, Chris Martin as my uh, primary teacher. And so that um, um, went on. So uh, I studied with uh, Chris alone for my first three years at Juilliard. And then uh, I got to the Assorted Masters program. So I thought, well, I'm going to be here for five years for a total of five years now so i should probably get some lessons with with uh ray mace too you know i, I wouldn't want to miss out on that at all um and so um chris Mar martin and ray mace really gave me every single possible tool that i could possibly need in uh and beyond uh that i that i would possibly need in the orchestral world so now i've got all this knowledge from uh my pre-Juilliard childhood and all that um, from everything to do with my uh, trumpet studies. And uh, I also got to study with uh, uh, Jim Thompson um, a little bit when I was in high school. So I got his whole um, uh, buzzing book method. I, and he directly taught me how to go through all of that and develop my tone quality and, and connect all my registers and all that. So I have all that knowledge plus um what i got from uh mr martin and mr mace and um so that that's basically how that all kind of um came together and 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 uh essentially i i feel like with all those tools i was just able to use my own um musicality and artistry and intelligence to put that together into who i wanted to, who i wanted to be and of course you know from this point on uh, the journey never really ends uh, for me, especially, you know, I, I think we're all we're all students of the instrument forever. We're all students of our craft forever. Um, and I, I think that's a really good uh, mindset to have in order to continue your your musical journey, not not chasing perfection, but but chasing excellence. And so that's uh, something I, I really look forward to to doing. And um, that's uh, that. That's essentially where all of those um, things happen for me. And in terms of, uh, I'm trying to remember your your question exactly. I think I, I think the only thing I haven't hit is what uh, what might have been some challenges for me amongst that. Um, so being having uh, piano is my first instrument. Um, so when I was very young, my uh, uh, when I was still a piano player, not a trumpet player yet, my dad discovered that uh, I had perfect pitch. And so uh, being a piano player, the perfect pitch uh, was formulated uh, in my brain in concert pitch. And then so when I started on the, the trumpet and learning all the notes, um, you know, it, it, it kind of came very, very naturally to me at first, just having um, my dad sitting there and I would copy what he did. Uh, but when I came to to reading um music on the trumpet i found it very um difficult to read um trumpet and b flat parts on the b flat trumpet because i would see like an like an like an e a printed e on the page and 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 then okay i have to play an e on the b flat trumpet i'm not hearing an e what's going on here you know uh so that was a challenge for me at first and then so i I did this weird thing in my head where I was like, okay, I'm going to read uh, this E on the page, and then I'm just going to think of it as a D, and I'm, I'm just going to, you know, 
I'm going to learn to read the music that way. And I, I think my brain still kind of works like that when I, when I pick up a, a B flat trumpet and I play B flat music and then, um, and then I, I, I do all sorts of weird things when I pick up a C trumpet and play, um, my, my, my transpositional skills are a little bit weird, but I, um, but you know, I, I still, I still deal with all of it and I'm, um, you know, Trump, trumpet enough, you know, I can, I can do it, but I, I don't, I don't think I, I do it like someone without perfect pitch, you know, it's, it's, it's really strange. Um, but, but, uh, but eventually I figured that out and then, uh, you know, picking up a D trumpet and E flat trumpet and a piccolo trumpet and a, you know, th those were things that were, um, definitely, uh, challenge for me just because of having, uh, um perfect pitch in in the key of uh scene not that i'm complaining about that you know i think that can be a, a huge um advantage um the other thing that was also a challenge to me that i discovered um probably around the age of 15 and 16 is that my my uh my relative pitch especially when i when playing with other other people prime particularly brass players uh was was pretty awful you know um having the the equal temperament all the time on the piano and and just saying okay all the notes are here just play every note on green you know i eventually i figured out you know i, I can't really do that i ha i have to find a way to uh develop my um relative pitch and and uh um you know a lot a lot of a lot of uh intonation skills that people were uh trying to to teach me in different ways none of those ways were really working for me uh so the way i solved that issue i would just i just went on the internet looked up a, a chart as to you know where um all the intervals lie in uh in terms of how many basically how many cents below below green you have to go to get to get to your your major third in tune and your your perfect fifth and so on and so um Basically, I, I think about to this day, I, I think about the numbers um, in my head all the time just to know, um, have an idea where things are supposed to be so I can make decisions be between um, straight equal temperament and uh, and perfect just intonation and everything in between uh, wherever appropriate. So those are um, those are essentially a, a couple of the challenges that I can think of at the moment that um, have resulted in or or not not necessarily resulted in have come up in my uh, musical journey. Yeah. Well, you know, that that's a there's a, a whole lot of interesting stuff there. I mean, I, I would just I really want to dive into some of this stuff and I hope I can remember all my questions that I have. Uh, so, but but what's really interesting is is like, you know, we talk about things like perfect pitch, you know, how. Um, you know, a lot of people like, oh man, I wish I had perfect pitch. You know, I, things we so, and and not understanding that that there is uh, a liability that exists with that because, as you said, if you're hearing everything to be exact, you know, then it it does become difficult to play with ensembles because of the nature of of where certain intervals lie and and if you know, like practicing with a tuner, I've I've heard a lot of people say that. Yes, you need to practice with a tuner, but you can't rely on the tuner too much because, you know, when you're on the gig, depending on what you're playing, you know, if the, the tuning is a little bit different, then what are you going to do? You know, do you do you play what you hear or do you play what you need to play? And those can be two different things, as you were saying. 
So that that to me is is really a, a good thing. Uh, for, I think for people to understand is that uh, perfect pitch helps. Uh, my dad had perfect pitch. I do not. Uh, I have perfectly bad pitch. Actually, is what it is. <laughs> but, um, you know, it, it's it's one of those things where there everything in life has got it's got an advantage and it's got a disadvantage, and it becomes how do you how do you manage it? Now with perfect pitch, one of the interesting things to me is how it manifests itself in you. Because everybody kind of has a different way of explaining how they hear. Uh, and some people actually, uh, their, their perfect pitch shows up as uh, synesthesia, which is, you know, when, when you're hearing, uh, instead of you're, you're hearing, you're maybe seeing or you're feeling or you're smelling or you're tasting. So your senses become, I don't want to say jumbled, but but you begin you you access a different portion of your brain to process a specific kind of information. So uh, for you with with your with your pitch, is it completely an oral thing, or is there an other kind of physical manifestation of the pitch that goes on in you? Uh, from the base of it, from from the base of my perfect pitch, it's it's an it's an oral thing. But I also have the synesthesia thing on top of it. The the colors um, register along with, um, with what, with what I can hear. So there, there are different, um, colors for different notes. A is red, B is yellow, and, um, C and D are two different greens and whatnot. G is purple. Um, so, and then B flat is yellow and whatnot. So that it's, uh, um, it's all kind of a, it's it's something that's that's visual along with the the audio and so there's that uh um and i mean it, it helps a little bit with the the perfect pitch too but it's it's most it mostly it's just like a like a like like a side of fries that comes with with hearing being able to hear what note is is being played yeah yeah so it's like if you're playing and they've got different color lights going off is that going to mess with you uh, it doesn't doesn't really mess with anything. I I don't I don't think it causes too many too many disadvantages. It just just looks pretty. <laughs> well, I mean, if you looked at your shirt, what what notes are on your shirt right now? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know that that's that's a well. There's a lot of animals on my shirt, so they'd be they'd be making a whole lot of a whole lot of atonal music. <laughs> well, that'd, be, that'd be a lot of uh, that'd be a lot of colors. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well. Now, the other thing you like you were when you were talking about uh, like your process of of you know uh, keyboard and and learning trumpet and and the different kind of uh, approaches that that you were exposed to, um, you know it, it's a lot of times people like you know where they're looking at your uh, your social media posts that you were putting up a few years ago uh -huh. when you first got into Juilliard uh, particularly, and uh, you, you're you're catching a lot of attention from people. It's like wow, who is this kid and you know, you know, such a yes, it's new wonderkin. He's, uh, you know, uh, this natural talent. And, and granted, there's, you know, having perfect pitch certainly is one of those things that becomes a natural talent. But, however, these are acquired skills that you've that you've gained through your practice, and also the fact that you're in this very rich environment where you you had music, we had access to music, uh, you had access to high level musicians. And so, you know, when you said that that you started trumpet at, at what six, seven, seven years old? Yeah, I was. I, I think I was about to turn seven when I when I started. Yeah. 
And you get to Juilliard and you are how old when you get to Juilliard? 17. 17. Okay. So 10 years of trumpet, not counting the piano before that. Um, you know, when people see, see you at first, it's like, oh, overnight sensation. Well, it's like, well, no, this guy's already put in a decade or more of work to get, for, to, get to the point that he's at right now. So, um, you know, with, with that environment, um, you know, and having those, those advantages, um, how do you relate then to people who, you know, look at, at what you do as kind of like, well, you're just a natural, uh, you know, how, how can you explain to them that uh, while you have certain natural uh, proclivities that, that you actually, you've, you've had to work to get those skills? Um, well, eventually, uh, th there's, there's a certain amount of talent that I have, but eventually, every, every, I, don't, I don't think I'm, um, I don't think I'm by any means like the most talented player, you know, it's, it's like I, I have some talents and I'll put some, some work on top of it. But I think at, at, a, at a certain point, even the most talented trumpet player, most talented anything will run out of talent. So uh, I think there's, there's some hard work required in, in, in order to um, in order to really excel in your craft. So uh, for me, um, well, uh, so exhibit A, so I, I finished high school when I was uh, 16. I was a year ahead. Uh, I was I was I was a year younger than everyone in my grade most of um, most of my life in school. And then, uh, and then I did high school in three years, you know, I sped up, did all the coursework, got it done. And then, so um, I basically took a gap year in between um, high school and, and Juilliard to just kind of practice and make, make sure I was ready for um, all the school auditions that I was, I was going to do. So that's, um, uh, you know, exhibit A. And I, I, uh, I really, you know, there was, there was, uh, um, uh, another example uh, there, I remember there was an entire summer, I might've been 15 or 16 that I, I primarily just focused on the, uh, the Charles Colin flexibilities book. Cause I, I really wanted to be able to just uh, be super fluid in my playing and also be able to play any note on the instrument. The, the Colin book is probably, I think that's what gave me uh, the ability to, to get um, a good, um, double high A finally, which, which fall, which was followed up with the, um, with the G sharp. Uh, I, I was joke joke about, joke about those, those notes just because of how, um, horrible, um, high G sharps are for me. I, I got my double A before I got my double G sharp. Like it didn't work chromatically for me. It's just, you know, the note that sat better for me, you know, I got, and then, you know, from doing lip flexibilities and, uh, and then, you know, I also got, um, I think I got my first, like, good, um, um, rich and tone quality double C from that, from doing that book as well. So, um, you know, which gave me the ability to do, to do a lot of, to do a lot of things. If I can do all that efficiently up, up to double C, I can have um, a, a nice, efficient high c in the orchestra with a good sound and then then obviously along with that that gives that gives me a lot of um um freedom in the the lead and and commercial trumpet world um 
now that I've done the work in the practice room, you know, I can go on and, and figure a few other things out. Um, and um, what else? I, I, I learned the, I learned the Tomasi when I was 14 or 15. I, I can't remember, but that, that, you know, took a lot of work, you know, the, the Tomasi isn't a, a piece, you know, how much, no matter how much natural talent you have that you can just uh, pro properly play, just picking it up. And like, you have to put a certain amount of work and even if you can kind of do everything on the instrument that's required, um, uh, you know, there's some stylistic work that, that goes into that as well. But um, the Tomasi is, is a piece that that really challenged me and, and made me a whole whole lot better just because there were when I when I first looked at the piece, um, pretty much most of it I I couldn't do at first. And um, I looked at it and I said, whoa, there's all sorts of um, extended techniques that I've never even tried before in here. And uh, uh, the more the more I worked on each lick in that piece, the better I got at uh playing the piece, obviously, and the better I got at, at playing the trumpet. Um, and so there, there's just all, there are just all sorts of, um, things that I, that I, uh, added to my playing, you know, there were, there were a few natural, natural strengths that I, um, would do my best to enhance. And then, and then there have always been, and are still some, uh, weaknesses in my playing that I've, that I've done my very best to, uh, improve on. And uh, that just uh, contributes to my uh, musical journey more and more, um, and, uh, and and so that that continues for the rest of my life as a, uh, a student of the instrument. I have to say that um, you know your your playing has a level of maturity that is rare for for someone of your age, but I think even more important than that is you show a level of maturity in your in your conversations in the way that you yeah i mean not saying that, that you don't you don't have your moments where you know you you want to be like a a young 20 something and and <laughs> let your hair down i would let my hair down if i had any <laughs> um you know it, but but the way that you talk about your journey to this point and uh the way that you you articulate your ideas and your um acknowledging your strengths and also acknowledging your your weaknesses that's something that it's not um it's not as common as one would hope would be in in people of all walks of life and i think that it's as, as a principal player particularly you have to have that that balance of the confidence and the ego uh you know ego serves its purpose but but the controlled ego of, you know, I can do this, I'm capable, I'm competent, I've done the work, here it is, uh, with the, uh, I don't care what I did six months ago, it's about what I can do right now and what I'm going to be able to do going forward and balancing those two out. So you seem to, to have that that kind of uh, idea that is, is that good balanced approach to your music and your life. So I'd certainly commend you for that. Um, Thank you. And one of the things that, that I wanted to, to ask you about in, in relationship to that is, um, are, do you consider yourself to be a, a structured person or, you know, someone who, who has vision, plan, 
ambition and, and you know, clarity of, of what you want to accomplish in life. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I think there's some structure as to to what I'd like to do. You know, the common question, where do you see yourself five years from now, 10 years from now? I, I think there are some uh, ideas I have in in regards to that uh, for sure. Um, but I, I just uh, I've just always gone by, uh, um, um, you know, a bunch of um, things that my my mother has told me growing up, you know, she's been uh my main motivator all my life and and she's uh really always uh instilled a growth mindset in me she really taught me to 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 have a growth growth mindset so that no matter um um what my passion is or or uh what my gift is or or what my dreams are that uh there is a way if you really uh put the work in and and you you take on challenges um, um, with a smile and all that, that, um, you know, you can do pretty much whatever you want, whatever you, you um, dream of doing. Um, and so when I was, um, when I was nine, and uh, I know there's going to be a, uh, uh, a question regarding my favorite book in the, uh, the rapid fire questions, but uh, uh, my mother introduced me to this this book called Mindset, which is by uh, Carol Dweck, mm -hmm. and so that's uh, that's a that's a book where uh, and it and it talks about uh, a lot of a lot of big names who give great example who are who are great examples of people with fixed mindsets, uh, where it's like you know whatever whatever your your gift is you know that's that's your God given gift and that's as good as it gets if you're if you're not naturally good at tennis or whatever you'll never be good at tennis and then there's the the growth mindsets, uh, the uh, you know the Michael Jordans and whatnot who get cut from gets cut from his high school basketball team and still uh, becomes one of the greatest of all time. You know, um, so that's um, and I forgot what the question was now. <laughs> Well, it's just a, yeah, kind of. About oh, something about something about my structure, right? I, I think I think uh, I think my structure mainly comes from uh, from uh, you know my my uh, my mom pretty much and and my upbringing in general. Both both of my parents really. Yeah, well, yeah. You know, there, there's a lot to be said for that. I mean, my my uh, my mom was a huge influence on me in terms of of uh, my approach to life. Um, actually, I. I tell the story to my friends a, a lot that, uh, you know, she, she gave that conversation to me when I was, I think maybe about 16 or so. And just like, you know, Hey, your dad and I try to raise you to be, you know, a good person, teach you right from wrong. Uh, you're at that age where you're going to start making decisions about who you hang out with, what you do while you're out, you know, blah, 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 blah. Those are your decisions. And you have to understand that you're going to live by the consequences of those decisions. You know, if you do something stupid, we're going to love you, but, 
you know, you got to deal with it, you know, whether it's, you know, getting a DUI or, you know, having a baby or something like that, that's on you. That is, you know, mm-hmm. your responsibility. And so it always made me think twice about doing stuff, you know, and, and not like, you know, uh, is my mom going to be mad at me? It's like, oh, well, you know, if this does go south, am I willing to, is this an acceptable consequence? Is this acceptable risk that I'm willing to take? And it's not living in fear. It's just living in, in acceptance of these are all of the potentials. And do I want to put myself in that situation? So, uh, you know, that, that, that book by Carolyn Dweck, absolutely one of my favorites. Um, you know, you, you can outgrow, um, you can, you can, you can overachieve what anybody thinks your potential is, uh, and you can also, yeah. And, and I think that's probably the biggest, uh, the biggest drawback for people who are considered to be talents or prodigies is that, uh, you know, they rarely live up to their potential uh, because their their growth curve is kind of like they start up here and they either plateau or in some cases begin to decline as opposed to the people who actually have to put in the work and they kind of the plotters in life who keep doing the work and building on the work and then they they have a slow start but they're they have no uh, there's there's no cap to what they can accomplish because they've learned the skills that are required the mental and the physical skills and emotional skills that are required to achieve excellence so I'm big on that stuff, man. That's that, that's my jam. So, um, you know, when when uh, when you look at yourself right now, you know, as, as you're as you're looking at, at your your career to this point, you know, um, you know, not not worrying about like the five year, ten year plan sort of thing, but as, as you're sitting in in that principal chair, uh, you know. What do you see as being your, uh, the greatest accomplishment that you got, you know, in terms of, of getting the, the things that you've learned to get you to that point, not just the getting the, the gig, but what, you know, what do you feel is like, okay, this was, this was the most important thing, the most important lesson I learned that got me to this point. Wow. Most important lesson that I've learned in all of, in all of getting to this point in terms of, uh, and I'm just thinking out loud here because I'm trying to come up with an answer, answer to that because that's, that's a very interesting question, you know, in terms of where I got to um, now with uh, the principal chair in Nashville and, and then um, principal chair in the Santa Fe Opera as well. You know, that's, that starts next summer for me. Um, and, and everything else. Um, I don't know. There, there's, there, there's a lot of, there's a lot of lessons, but I, I think the, the, I think the main one that I learned a very long time ago from my mother that I'm still reminded of just about, um, every day is, uh, and, uh, and I also, <laughs> I also know there's going to be a, a favorite quote question later too, but, but I'm, I'm going to say it now and I'll say it later again. And that, uh, quote that my mother told me is failure to prepare is preparing to fail. And so um, that basically means, you know, if you don't prepare to, to, for, to get to your goal, you don't set a plan in place or, or you have, uh, um, you know, you've got a performance at the end of the week and you don't 
prepare and you don't put in the work, then it's it's not going to be your best performance, for example. And so, um, and because now I'm in a position where I'm performing all the time, performing um, several concerts every week, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm always um, being reminded just by, by the work that I'm doing, the work that I, that I continue to put in that, um, you know, I'm putting, uh, I'm putting in all this preparation um, so that I can be in the best position possible to uh, succeed. And of course, you know, there's, there's still, there's still failure along the way and that's how we learn, but you know, your best, bet at success is being as prepared as you possibly can be yeah so i think that would be um you know the greatest lesson that i've learned um at at this point and it, it it really i don't think it really gets much better than that honestly yeah well that that is so true you know like yeah when you we we're talking about planning and things like that you know, one of my favorite quotes is a, a mike tyson quote you know everybody's got a got a plan until they get punched in the mouth and yeah, I think that's that. What happens a lot of times is that that we, that the the advantage of having clear cut plans and goals is that you know where you want to be. The problem with that is that sometimes circumstances change, and you know priorities change, uh, necessities change. All so so there has to be a level of fluidity. But I I think that the attitude that you have about whatever you're doing, prepare. Uh, that will never change. That's one of those constants in life. So, uh, you know, it's, I think sometimes it's so easy to get caught in the, uh, the, the super specific micro management, managing of our lives or trying to do that as opposed to trying to see the big picture and understand what are the big skills that I need that will serve me as a trumpet player, that will serve me as a a parent or a friend or a, a spouse or anything that you do in life and any uh, anything that, that requires any level of skill or ability, um, there's, yeah, there's only one way to do it. And, it, and you know, for longevity, and that's to, to have that kind of that work ethic and, and the, uh, the mental approach that, that you have. So that's, that's good stuff, man. I appreciate that. Love hearing that. Um, so, you know, as, as you grow in your stature and, uh, your exposure as a professional player, uh, you know, there, you know, all the, all the accolades that we get and, and then all of the, uh, the bennies, uh, that, that come along with that, uh, your Fendi, uh, your red Fendi wear and, uh, all that good stuff. Uh, you recently started, uh, working with, uh, my good friends, uh, uh, Doug McVay and, and uh, Cookie uh, at Venture Mouthpieces uh, to develop a, a line of mouthpieces, some custom mouthpieces for yourself. And um, yeah, I, I know we're going to talk about uh, gear a little bit later in the show, but I just wanted to kind of dive into that because uh, I really, yeah, I'm a, I'm a firm believer in, in Venture and what they're doing, uh, which is one of the reasons why they're sponsors of the show. Uh, and I, I play their gear as well. Um, but I think that, you know, the thing I love about it is the ability to do that kind of custom work um, for someone who, you know, if you're, if you're a Chris Martin or, a, a, you know, a 
Wayne Bergeron or, you know, in any of these, you know, top tier players in the commercial or the, or the uh, classical world, yes, you, you know, you have companies that will, you know, invest in the R and D to develop things for you. But, but for those of us who are, uh, you know, like you either starting your career or, or for me, just, you know, kind of, you know, the, 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 in the minor leagues, um, you know, it's hard to do that, you know, and, it, and it's very expensive and time consuming in the traditional way. And I think what, what, what Doug and Cookie are doing with, with venture makes that accessible. So, you know, can you kind of walk us through like the process that you went through in, in developing your unique line of, of mouthpieces and, and how that came about and, and what your experience has been with that? Yeah, I can start w- with how that came about. So, um, uh, just over, uh, a year ago, uh, I went to, um, Chicago to attend the, uh, uh, the wedding of one of my best friends, uh, Logan Wooden, shout out to Logan. And, uh, Logan is, Logan is also, uh, a trumpet player and, and he's, he's, uh, he's a trumpet teacher as well. And, and, uh, he does a bunch of other really great things. And, um, and he's also uh, a gearhead, just like me. Probably even more more of a gearhead. He, I, I think he knows quite a bit more than me, in fact, um, about uh, trumpet gear. And um, and so he uh, int- he basically introduced me to this whole uh, venture thing with the VenCAD software. And uh, he he showed me, you know, you can. You can have a bunch of uh, mouthpiece references to to take a closer look at uh, um, a mouthpiece that might be your favorite mouthpiece that you've you played on for for these purposes for years and years that you that you really like um, and work very well for your playing. But there are just a few things in that mouthpiece that you would like to change to work a little bit better for you. And then there are other. There may be some other mouthpieces in your arsenal that don't exactly match up to your your main um, go-to kind of universal everything mouthpiece um, that that could go that could kind of match up a little bit better. And so uh, the software uh, gives you the ability to um, uh, create a whole world for yourself where um, you can have a set of mouthpieces that that just work for you for every um um every purpose on that you uh that you would need um a different mouthpiece for on the instruments and um and if you have an idea for a specific mouthpiece then uh what you can do is put it together in the software and then have it uh if you have a 3d printer you can uh you can 3d print it in resin or whatever um plastic of your your choice to try it out uh for very cheap um and if if venture does it for you that that that'll only cost you about 25 bucks and so that's a lot cheaper than um you know putting together um a whole metal mouthpiece that you don't know is is going to work and then you decide ah this isn't really um you know or there, there are a couple things that i would change about this idea like there's there's a lot less money that goes into that before getting your final uh, metal mouthpiece. And so that, that's what I, that's what I really love about uh, venture and this whole um, process of, of developing my um, line of mouthpieces. 
And so uh, basically after, after Logan introduced me to uh, Venture Mouthpieces, um, the first uh, mouthpiece in my collection that, that uh, came to mind was the, uh, the GR Wayne Bergeron mouthpiece. And so they're it's a fantastic mouthpiece. Always loved it for my lead playing, but there, there, there are certain things that I would ch change about it. Not, not that there's anything wrong with the mouthpiece, but it's, uh, you know, I just feel like this rim could, uh, I could have them there. I just felt like there could always be a way to have a better transition between uh, my orchestra rim and my lead trumpet rim. And I could probably do with a little lower of an alpha angle, just so I just just so I can have a little more space. Maybe mess around with the with the cup a little bit, and so um, basically, Ven, the the VenCAD software allowed me to do everything that I uh, that I wanted to do to create a uh, a lead the a lead mouthpiece, basically a lead mouthpiece of my dreams that I can just put on my face and it works and I can do everything that I, that I want to do kind of, kind of put every, everything that I did in the practice room to work on a piece of equipment with complete freedom. Um, and so uh, I did that. I, I bought the mouthpiece from uh, venture and all that. And then uh, basically Doug, Doug and cookie um, asked if I want to be um, an artist and I said, well, absolutely. You know, I'm, I'm, uh, I think the, I think the company is brilliant and all their, their technological features are, are marvelous. And so, and I'm, I'm totally on board with it. And, uh, and I'm currently, I'm still in the process with, uh, developing the, the line of mouthpieces. Several of the designs are finished. I think it's going to be about, uh, 11 mouthpieces, you know, which, which is kind kind of kind of a lot, but I but you know I, I think every every one of those mouthpieces is going to have a very important purpose in my playing from um, every style of orchestral playing I will do on a uh, on a B flat or a C uh, piston trumpet. Um, all of my uses for the the E flat trumpet and the rotary trumpet, uh, lead trumpet playing, piccolo trumpet playing. Um, um, any the the mouthpieces that I will need for flugelhorn and and cornet and of of course um, a uh, a cornet slash flugelhorn um, style mouthpiece that that can go into a trumpet that you can play a nice um, uh, Mahler three post horn solo on or or um, you know be able to play very quietly with with uh, um, with instrumentalists like, like harpists and whatnot. Um, so that, uh, you know, I just love the idea of having a tool for everything and have being able to customize every single last detail, um, myself. And so I, I have, uh, a few of the mouthpieces here. Um, and, uh, what I also really love about the other, another side note I, I, I'd like to, to make is that, uh, I just really love having different names of the mouthpieces, um, like this one in particular, which is my main one, which I'll use in the orchestra most of the time, and I'll use for other types of playing. I've decided to call it the the universal, and because I've called it the universal, 
I've named uh, and I've applied uh, names to several other mouthpieces in this line that happen to end with the letters AL just to kind of have a theme going. There's going to be this universal. The, uh, there are um, two models right here, which are still um, in plastic, which I'm trying to, you know, make sure work for me. This one's going to be called the infernal. This one's going to be called the celestial. You know, and there's there's all sorts of names. The 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 lead mouthpiece that I developed with them first is called the the zenith, uh, which is just it doesn't end in in, in al, but I just wanted it to to kind of have the meaning of highest point. And then there's going to be another um, high note mouthpiece that can be used on the piccolo trumpet and for some uh, some commercial playing. If I feel like I need a little bit more volume in the cup, that's going to be called the summit, the, the summit, sorry, which uh, technically means the same thing, you know, highest point, high notes. Um, and so a bunch of there's there's one called an ethereal. Uh, the, the rotary mouthpiece is called the Vesperol. And uh, uh, you know you can you can probably tell I'm really enjoying myself with all the all this this mouthpiece stuff and and the names and all that. So, uh, but that's that's essentially why I uh, love venture and I I appreciate uh, uh, I really appreciate Logan for introducing me and and I I appreciate uh, Doug and Cookie for uh, bringing me on on board and I've I've loved every single second of the process. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it's, I have a love-hate relationship with VenCAD uh, because, you know, it, I love being able to go in and tweak stuff and I, I love the flexibility that it gives me, but then I hate it because it gets me into these rabbit holes and it's like, well, if I just change this and I just change that and uh, it, it can, it can be kind of, kind of crazy, but uh, yeah. It's well, everything's good. In, everything's good in moderation. You know, you can, you can have, uh, you can have, you can have so many, you can have so many, so many issues with technology, especially if you're like a, um, um, a C plus plus software engineer and, and whatnot, you know, you can, you can spend, you can spend hours on, on, on an issue that you have in coding, or you can spend hours on an issue that you have in, in your, in your own mouthpiece idea head. So, uh, you know, it's, it's all a very fascinating, uh, journey. And I, I, I think it's good in, in, in moderation before you oh, yeah. get all frustrated with yourself. <laughs> Absolutely. So did, did you, uh, did you do the, all the design yourself or, or did you get input from, from uh, Doug or cookie or any other outside sources and uh, on what kind of tweaks you wanted to make? Uh, I've got a lot of, I've gotten a lot of uh, input from, uh, from, from cookie and uh and uh, Cookie is also a, a fantastic uh, cornet and trumpet player himself. And he sounds fantastic on flugel, and, and he can play some. I think I've seen him play some bass trumpet too. You know, he can do all that. I can't do any trombone mouthpiece stuff. You know, and, and he can he can do it all. And so there was, uh, what was it? The 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 carnival model. I didn't talk about that one, but there was a carnival model that that I that I want to do and has turned out great, which is just an and kind of an American style cup cornet mouthpiece, which I want it to be very similar to the universal, almost the same. And so I sent him I sent him the file and then we had a uh, uh, a Zoom call and he said, hey, I, I just made 
uh, this modification to the cut made it deeper. There's more of a V, uh, uh, you know, just because. And I didn't even ask. And I didn't even ask many questions just because he's he's such a such a master of um, of um, I guess every every sound concept imaginable in the brass band world. And I'm very much not. I don't. I don't think I've ever played in a brass band a day in my life. You know, I I know a lot about what what my I I know my what my sound concept needs to be in the orchestra and in different commercial trumpet situations. But um, uh, you know, Cookie's such a huge huge brass band guy. I I I just said okay. You know what? I trust you. And then when I tried the mouthpiece um, on cornet, um, you know, I said. Yeah, I I knew he really knew he knew what he was talking about. So, you know, it, it it's good to get input from him. And I've I've uh, I've talked to different um, uh, players as to as to what types of equipment they would use for different situations. When I was trying to figure out, you know, what do I want to do for my piccolo trumpet playing, or um, you know, what other options do I want to have for uh, piston trumpet orchestral playing and and stuff like that. So various, various other players as well. Yeah. Well, yeah, that, that's cool. And, and, uh, you know, just, I, I love the graphical representation of stuff. I, you know, uh, I remember back in the old days, uh, yeah, when I was, when I was a young whippersnapper like you, um, you know, it was, if you were lucky, there would be a drawing in the product uh, catalog showing the, yeah, the cup size and you know, the the shape of the rim and yeah, but there's no discussion of things like alpha angles and and that uh, you know it's just you know uh, it's either a, a a cup or uh, or a V yeah and there you go and here's your throat size if you're lucky to get that much information and now having access to all of uh, not just the the more detailed information but being able to to manipulate the variables and and see how it creates a, a different flow. Um, yeah, I think putting the power in, uh, certainly that there's a level of, of um, experience and, and uh, artistry that's part of the, the mouthpiece manufacturing process. You know, I have a lot of friends that are in that space besides, you know, Doug uh, and Cookie, uh, you know, and they're great craftsmen and things like that. Uh, but I think there's something to be said about having, you know, as the individual, as the artist, as the performer, to to get a better grip on what it is that you're using and uh, to be able to go in and make those kind of tweaks yourself and and like like you're saying you know for, hey for 25 bucks if i can get a, a a plastic copy of this and see whether it works or not it's it, it makes it much more affordable and, and not that the equipment will make you that much of a better player it just makes it easier for you to be a better player, you know, to, like you said, to get the, the work that you've done uh, in the practice room helps it to come out of the horn uh, without as many restrictions as sometimes, you know, having gear that's good enough. Yeah, you know, as opposed to what, what's what's really what you need. And we're going to talk about gear more in a, in a few minutes, but but uh, I'm just so happy for you, man, and, and looking forward to uh, to seeing all of all of the wonderful contributions that you make to the mouthpiece world with your your line of 60 million mouthpieces <laughs> do, do you have a shoe collection like that too i mean do you have are you one of those guys that uh shoe for every occasion 
Uh, I don't. Uh, well, I, I don't have a huge shoe collection, but I, I have a I have a few different uh, uh, different colored pairs of shoes that that go with uh, um, some of the different colors and 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 flashy suits that you'll see me wearing. I got a I got a pair of red shoes that go with the red jacket. I got a pair of shiny pink shoes that go with the pink jacket, and so on. So. Uh, but it doesn't get nearly as nerdy as the the mouthpiece stuff. <laughs> well, well, maybe someone will design or yeah, develop a van, like a van cad for uh, for shoes, and you can uh, like like custom make your arches and you know the heel size and shapes and yeah, there we go, there you go. Don't let Nike steal that idea. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I said it here first, Nike. <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh, so uh, uh, before we get moving on uh, onto the, the the final portions of the show, I, I just wanted to ask you one other question, and, and it just and, it, and it's about your your gig uh, now in Nashville. Um, mm-hmm. There's a lot of great players in Nashville. So many great players. A lot of my good friends down there: uh, Jose Sabaha, uh, Vinny Kachelski, Tyler Yeager, uh, you know uh, Rob Rob Qual. Like I've got a lot a lot of friends down in that area. Um, but um, when when you uh audition for that gig i mean the audition process uh that's something i've talked to a few people about uh and you know you've gone through the audition obviously getting to juilliard uh you're you know you you did this this audition and and you nail you know right out of college you nail a a a great principal gig um you know other than the the fact that you you put in the practice and to develop the skills to get you the job um, I do understand there's also there, there's a level of uh, mental preparation that's involved in preparing for a major audition of that type. Uh, so what did you do other than, you know, just shedding on your horn? What did you do to prepare yourself for that audition? And, and specifically, what kind of advice would you give to trumpet players out there that are either a getting ready to audition for a a university or you know a, a program and you know the the ones that are looking to to get into a pro situation you know what kind of advice would you give them to to be in the best possible position to be prepared for success in their audition well one of the one of the most important lessons that i learned myself in that whole um process of getting ready for um the nashville audition and and a bunch of other auditions is uh, the importance of uh, listening to recordings of great players and, and great orchestras and and so on and so forth and playing along with those recordings um, and uh, playing uh, playing along with uh, several recordings of the the same piece as well as a matter of fact um, so you can um, take aspects of of different great players playing and just uh, glue it all together and, and stick your name on it and uh, just have that all in your your arsenal. It's it's a much faster way of of uh, learning than, uh, you know, trying to do it without looking at the music and playing and, and thinking through, you know, what, what can I do with this? You know, there are already um, uh, so many ideas out there that I've been out there for years and years and years um, that you can really use. Um, to your advantage. So in, in, uh, in particular for my uh, preparation for um, the, the Nashville audition, I, I had uh, a playlist with every um, excerpt on the list uh, in orchestral context with um, 
you know, fantastic, you know, all fantastic uh, recordings. Uh, whole lot of New York Phil, you know, with 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 Phil Smith on there. Um, you know, Phil Phil Smith's one of the the all time greats, and uh, and he's got one of my favorite trumpet sounds. Um, so, just having all those in context, putting putting it together in Logic Pro for myself, so I can have have it fade in at the beginning and fade out. So it's it's a smooth listen over the course of my practice session. And then I just put it in in my uh um iTunes or my my and have it on my music app on my phone. And all I all I gotta do uh most of my practice session is getting ready for um in the in the early to middle stages of the of the preparation process for me, most of my practice sessions will just cons consist in me putting on the headphones, you know, full thing over the left ear and off off the right right ear so I can listen to myself play. Just hit hit shuffle, open the open the the music and keep playing along. And then uh I found that to be um kind of the most efficient way for me to really get ready to to go and win uh my first job because I I wanted everything um uh, musically, technically, stylistically, and just just being able to, to 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 you know go from one piece uh, to one that's contrasting to that previous piece, just like that, and um, you know hitting hitting shuffle on the playlist was I, honestly I think that was the the most efficient way for me to go about at the time, and I still do. Um, you know, a lot of that type of listening. Um, but I felt I felt like that was the most efficient way for me to learn uh, a list of that capacity uh, in the amount of time that I had. Um, and just, you know, my advice would be listening, basically listening and playing along with your favorite recordings. Um, so you can absorb as much of that as possible because all the people you're uh, listening to uh have won some really some really great um um some really great jobs and they become the the they become the figures that they are and the and some of the greatest musicians of all time for a reason so i think they're all very important to to study all right that sounds good to me all right well we're going to get on to uh our regular uh segments and this year, this episode, I'm going to introduce a new segment, and uh, this segment is brought to us by Airflow Music and uh, my good friend Brian Davis, and uh, this is called Go Practice. And uh, Go Practice is about that, about your uh, experiences, your knowledge, you know, your tips for, for practice, and I, I just want to maybe just, just go with this one concept for you to to maybe just talk about a little bit as as a professional uh, you know there's a big difference between being a, a college student you know as, as you're in Juilliard doing you know where where your job was to practice more or less uh and being a professional where your job is to play uh so uh there there are times in our lives whether it be because of demands of our professional playing career or the demands of you know, if, if you're a, a part-time player or a semi-pro player or amateur player, the demands of your life, 
uh, don't always give you that ability to spend six, eight hours a day practicing. Uh, so what tips could you give people to be able to maximize their practice time? If you've got a limited amount of time, what is the approach that you, that you like to take to make sure that you get the, the most out of the, the amount of time that you have available for you for practice? I think for me, uh, when my time, the, when my time is very limited, honestly, I, I think I, uh, I do the, I do the very best I can to prepare efficiently for, for what I need to do. You know, if, if, if I have a performance at the end of the week and I don't have a whole, uh, a lot of time to prepare and, and that there's all sorts of there are all sorts of things that I would um also normally do in my practice like the the James Thompson buzzing book method and flexibility exercise articulation exercises and and etudes here and there and, and whatnot then um that week I'll I'll just do the very best that I can to um to to um as I as I prepare um, to be, you know, a hundred percent ready for the performance at the end of the week. Uh, I try to get everything I can, um, uh, technically and musically from the music that I'm practicing to get ready, to get ready for, um, so, so I can almost make up for all the, uh, all the other stuff in my practice session that I would normally do that I didn't get to do that week and, and, uh, may hopefully learn some, something in the process in all those categories in terms of uh, music and technique and style and all that. All right. So but I'll, I'll, maybe I'll make this a part of the, the ongoing thing, a keep it or cut it. So if there's one thing that you absolutely feel like you have to do anytime you practice, what is it? And then if there's one thing that if you get to it, you get to it. And if you don't, you don't, uh, what would that be? Uh, I think that would be, I, I, every day I always do something from the James Thompson buzzing method. Um, uh, whether I, whether I do like one to four, um, slowly and properly with the recording, or I just kind of blow my way through it very quickly. You know, I, I always like to just go through the process of starting on the mouthpiece, finding, finding where my, uh, uh, middle G F concert on a B flat trumpet is uh, vibrating and resonating and all that, um, and to take my myself through the registers. I think, um, I think that would be it. Some type of form of uh, a couple of of uh, James Thompson buzzing basics. All right, I like it. Good, good, good. All right, let's move on to our next segment, and our next segment is a. Uh called Sound Offs, brought to us by Mark Go Michael. I can't speak today. Michael Barkley of Barkley Microphones. Um, it's about your approach to sound. And, you and you know, we've talked about it kind of uh, in passing. You actually were just talking about you know, using the, the mouthpiece buzzing for for finding your resonant center of your pitch. Um, what what other things do you think are, are critical for a trumpet player to to think about, understand, or, or practice in order to make uh the most resonant and beautiful sound they can on the horn uh i think 
I I think I think one of the major things, you know, that going back to the the Thompson method, um, I think one of the major keys with that is building habits for yourself, um, build building habits for um, yourself physically in terms of how uh, your body functions when when you're trying to make the most beautiful res resonant sound, and that kind that kind of just just comes with uh, with repetition, and that that covers the the physical uh, side of things. I think I think uh, Jim Thompson told me one time, it, it, I, I think he either told me it takes four to six weeks or six to eight weeks to build a habit, and so that that requires a whole lot of repetition. So that that covers the uh, the physical side of things, which which is which is really mental. But then the the result in, of that is everything is uh physically there for you um in terms of the psychological side of things which i would classify as um you know where your ear is when you're uh trying to find your your sound for different purposes if you if you want to have an orchestral sound for um a certain type of repertoire whether it's Brahms or Mahler or Bruckner or Ravel or, or whatever it is, um, um, I think it's really I, I think it's really important and and you know to uh, going back to that idea of listening to to recordings and just having that idea in, in your ear, even if you're completely unable to to explain to yourself or explain to anyone what it is that that audible concept is and I, I think it's I think it's really important to just have it um psychologically um ingrained in yourself so that you can um you can really use your uh um you know all of all of your uh recording studying and your um and all the the physical repetition that you've done in the practice room to your advantage so you can create the the sound that you want in all circumstances at all times. All right, solid advice. All right, now let's move on to uh, our uh, discussion of gear. It's Geared Up, brought to us by Venture Mouthpieces, Venture where technology, craftsmanship, and design intersect. Uh, use the code TrumpetGurus21 at checkout to get 10% off of your order. Uh, and you can maybe order one of, uh, one of William's new new signature line mouthpieces to give them a try coming um, soon coming soon to uh an online store near you um so this is about gear and you know we're going to talk about the mouthpieces and in your 11 mouthpieces uh <laughs> but because of uh you know the nature of what you do as a as a classical musician you you have to have a lot of different gear uh and so when you're looking at uh having all of those different horns um how do you approach gear and, and like what would, what is your uh suggestion to people that, that have to have a variety of of gear uh of how do you how do you manage to get a level of consistency and familiarity uh in spite of all the diversity that you need uh in the gear that your job demands of you um i think you just have to check off of um you just have to check off some boxes for yourself individually because there there are different pieces of equipment that will work for for others and in, in terms of 
how their face works physically, how how their their air flows, the way you you use your tongue and all and all that. Um, so that would be the the physical side of things, like what what size mouthpiece is going to fit your face, and and how um, how does your venturi and lead pipe and and bell flare need to be shaped in order to um, match the way your air flows, and then that goes into um, psychologically, um, you know, how do, how does that um, how, how does that aid the sound concept that you have up here? Because if um, if you have uh, a B flat trumpet that is considered to be physically one of the most uh, efficient instruments, like if, if you have um, some type of uh, you know lead his uh, lead, lead trumpet that would you know, you can play any note on uh, and it comes out efficiently, zero response time and whatnot. Um, you know, that that might, depending on what your sound concept is, if you're looking for um, a big Phil Smith Bach 37 sound, for example, you know, that might not be um, psychologically the most efficient thing for you. Um, eventually, if, you, if you're trying to get um, a different sound than what you're, um, equipment tends to facilitate, then um, that's not really efficient at the end of the day. So I think I think efficiency is a big thing and there just has to be a very um, healthy balance between um, a player's needs physically and a player's needs um, psychologically um, coming from the ear um, altogether. All right. Yeah, and I love the, that idea of efficiency because you know efficiency uh, doesn't necessarily mean like when we tend to think about efficiency as trumpet players, we do think about it like in that lead trumpet kind of world, you know, like you know the least amount of air, the most you know most projection, yeah, blah 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 blah. But like you said, while while that might be good in one area, uh, it actually is inefficient in another area. So. You know, it's it's what's what's going to give you the the best chance of doing what you hear and feel with the least amount of of effort. That is efficiency. So, right, absolutely. And another example of that 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 applies specifically to myself is uh, uh, you know for for an orchestral style mouthpiece that I would use. Um, I I tend to use a very um, large rim, probably some something of the size that you would find on a Bach One X. And, um, you know, I've, I've, I've experimented and I've, I've played on that size for a while and I've, I've experimented a little bit with, with going smaller and seeing if that, that can work for my, for, um, in the orchestra. But what I kind of discovered over time is what was really most efficient for me was that, that large size is if I go, if I go smaller than that, then, um, Phys uh, from a physics standpoint, yes, it is more more efficient for um, executing what I you know the the execution side of things in on the job in the orchestra. But um, psychologically, what will start to to happen for me is um, I'll I'll start to unconsciously try to to recreate all the things that were happening on the uh, on the bigger mouthpiece that I can't do on the smaller mouthpiece anymore. And then I'll get I'll get tired quicker on a on a three rim than I would on a one rim. So 
Um, so it's actually far more efficient for me to figure out how to play efficiently uh, or not, not figure out. I've, I've already, you know, mostly figured out and I'm still figuring out how to, you know, not, not figure it out, but know how to um, play efficiently on a on a one rim than, you know, just play efficiently, efficiently on a three rim, for example. Yeah. There you go, folks. That's, that's golden information. All right. And uh, time to wrap things up with our final portion as uh, our Robinson's Remedy rapid fire round as uh, William uh, well knows. And I've, I've been debating whether I want to, since you already are prepared, I, whether I want to give you the standard questions or whether I want to, I want to switch you up to uh, the, the auxiliary questions. So um, yeah, we'll go standard. We'll see what you say. Whatever works. All right. We'll, 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 we'll go with the standard because uh, I just want to see <laughs> what you have to say, what you have prepared. <laughs> so, yeah. all right do you know the well, it's not like i studied or anything it's just that you know I've, I've i've watched a few of your episodes and i just happen to know what what some of the questions are and and you know what other uh it was nice to hear other people's answers and whatnot so you know yeah. that's all it is okay all right yeah. you weren't cramming or anything like that <laughs> no crib notes okay all notes down phones off all right here we go like being in college again all right here first question for you who's the biggest influence in your life that's not a trumpet player uh, I think I think that would be my parents. You know, I've I've talked about my uh, my mom a lot in terms of being my my main motivator um, in life, and then my dad is a as the the first trumpet sound. Yeah. All right. Uh, what's your favorite book? Mindset by Carol Dweck. All right. What's the worst movie you've ever seen? Uh, that I that I can't really. I'm not really much of a movie person, so I haven't seen really seen a, a a bad movie, and I don't know how to really critique movies to that degree. Okay. Uh, uh, if you weren't a trumpet player, what would you want to be? Uh, if it was another instrument, piano, since that's my first instrument, and then if if not uh, if not something in music, uh, an actor would be cool. All right. What's your favorite drink? Diet Coke. All right. Uh, you can have a dinner party. Invite any three living people. Who would you want to have there? Uh, I would love to see, and I, 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 I would love to have uh, Hillary Clinton, Donald Trump, and Anderson Cooper, just so I could see all that, all that debating done over again. I think that would be an entertaining evening. Just sit back with the popcorn and have at the entertainment. Oh, that that would be great. Or it could be, the worst, <laughs> or it could be the worst movie you've ever seen. One of the two. I'm not sure which one it would be. Exactly. Um, <laughs> um, at your table, you have three additional chairs. Any three people from history? Muhammad Ali, Wilt Chamberlain, and Bud Hurst. I think that'd be a funny thing. Yeah. Okay. Uh, lacquer, plated, or raw? Plated. Right. What is your favorite quote? uh failure to prepare is preparing to fail what's your greatest fear uh checking my plane and uh, checking my horns going on a plane <laughs> yeah, yeah that that is a bad one um you could be granted one superpower what would it be be able to fly so i don't have to check my horns <laughs> there you go 
what aspect of trumpet playing do you feel is the most overrated? Um, I did think about this one for a while, actually, after watching a couple episodes. But I, but after thinking about it, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, every, I feel like every skill on the on the trumpet, um, becomes, you know, not so overrated in different genres of music, you know. So it's hard to really, it's hard to really name that. I feel like in, you know, you're not. I'm not really going to make a whole lot of money playing a double high C in the orchestra typically, but so that, that can be an overrated skill there, but not so much in other genres of music. So that's just one example. All right. So situational. Yes. All right. Uh, what aspect do you feel is the most underrated? Uh, I kind of have the same answer, honestly, you know, it's, 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 it's hard to, it's hard to really say. Um, uh, you know, things things become more and uh, some things become more important. Some things become less important in different situations. OK, um, you could go back in time. Um, 16 years and give yourself one piece of advice about music. What would it be? Uh, listen to more recordings. All right. And uh, you're going to give your younger self one piece of advice about life. Uh, Continue to do what you're doing and, and don't have any regrets. All right. Final question for you, William Leathers. What do you want your legacy to be? Uh, that I, um, I was a guy that made that that was that I was a happy guy who made other people happy and was able to inspire others. All right. Well, that is a good one, and uh, you're certainly well on your way for that. So just. Keep doing what you're doing, man. So I appreciate you uh, taking the time. I know, uh, you know, we, we've been trying to get this together for some time and, and I'm just glad everything worked out. The timing worked out to, to do this and to have you as my first guest for 2023. Uh, again, I, I'm so impressed by uh, your, your skills as a trumpet player, but also uh, your attitude in life. I mean, you, you are wise beyond your years, my friend. So uh, I'm truly looking forward to uh, following your career, and uh, hopefully when I get down to Nashville uh, to visit, uh, I can uh, can catch up with you and buy you a Diet Coke. <laughs> absolutely, that would be great. Yeah, this has been a huge pleasure. Thanks so much. Oh, absolutely, my pleasure. And uh, as always, folks, thank you for joining us for another episode of The Hang, and uh, like, subscribe, share. Uh, make sure you support our sponsors. Uh, all of them are great people. They're they're great trumpet players, and and they're super interested in just helping to see the trumpet community grow and improve. So uh, make sure you you check them out. And uh, next time you're looking for equipment, definitely uh, look them up. So, folks, until the next time, a piece inside Greece. We out. Thanks for hanging with us today. This podcast is all about creating deeper connections through our mutual love of music and the trumpet life. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast and also like and share this episode with a friend. We want to see the hang grow for show. Please support our sponsors and consider becoming a personal supporter of this podcast as well. Remember, for less than the price of a bottle of valve oil a month, you can keep this podcast moving smothly. The Trumpet Guru's Hang is recorded at the Candy Factory, a co-working space and social club located in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Jose Johnson is the executive producer. Post-production editing is by Mitch Bowers. 
Our opening theme song was composed and performed by Lexi Signor, and our closing theme music comes courtesy of The Greatest Funeral Ever. Incidental music is by Ethan Swayze and Jose Johnson. Graphic design by Ann Kirby of The Sweet Corps. The Trumpet Gurus Hang podcast is produced in collaboration with the So Good Lancaster Media Group. Uh-huh.